Thanks for joining us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. Take a second and send your story to amen at citychurchfl.org. And if you'd like to partner with this ministry financially, you can do that by going to citychurchfl.org slash give and select the giving option that works best for you. Once again, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Today we're beginning a series that we're going to be talking about the passion, the heart, the, the heartbeat of this church and why we do what we do. The year was 1989 and my wife and I, I was finishing Bible college. We were living in Seattle, Washington. Our oldest son had not yet been born yet and there was a pastor that had come to our church and he would preached a message. It was entitled, This Gospel Shall Be Preached. This Gospel Shall Be Preached and then the end shall come. At the end of the message, he gave an altar call, and I felt a strong stirring to respond. I had no idea that from that altar call, in just a few short months, my life would radically be changed. But in that, in that moment, I heard God speak to me so very clearly about his call upon my life. And the Lord spoke these words to me. He said, ask of me, and I shall give the nations as an inheritance to you. But he said, ask. Ask of me. And I said, God, I want to see people changed. I want to see lives changed just like you changed my life. I went back to my seat and, and I was sitting next to Laura and I said, Laura, you responded as well. What did God speak to you? And before I could get those words out of my mouth, she said this verse, Psalms chapter 2, verse number 8, ask of me and I will give the nations as an inheritance for you. I knew at that moment, God, God, we had already been linked together in marriage, but God was linking us together in ministry and in mission in a way that we never knew, never knew what happened, never knew or understood could take place. And fast forward to just a, a few months, it was Easter of 1990. My wife and I, along with another couple, had launched a church, our very first church plant in the inner city of Seattle on the corner of Martin Luther King and Cherry. We had uh, gone into this community not having any idea. Even though I was in Bible college and I'd taken all these church growth classes and studied the Bible, I, I got to tell you, I had no idea how to start a church. It was the farthest thing from my understanding of what I, how I was supposed to do it. But we ended up in a community where we knew that there was a, 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 a desperate need for the powerful message of Jesus to be proclaimed. As a matter of fact, just a few years before that, in the early 80s, crack cocaine had come into the inner city of Seattle and it devastated that community. And we found ourselves in a little tiny house building located on the corner of Martin Luther King and Cherry in the inner city of Seattle. And there we began to minister to children. Uh, it was just and a pretty amazing thing that took place. We went one day in our vehicles and started knocking on doors and inviting kids to come to a, a program that we called Saturday Safari. I had no idea how to do a kids program. I'd never been involved in kids ministry. The other couple that it started with, they didn't know how to do kids ministry. But we just said, well, we'll have some games, we'll have some fun, and we'll tell the Bible story. And within two weeks, I became Saturday Safari. I had just gone there to help this other guy do it. And the next thing you know, I was Saturday Safari. And over the next three years and four years and five years, we saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ through this ministry. This ministry, though, had two little kids in it that changed my life. Their names were Melvin and Antoinette. 
They're twin brothers and sisters. It was Easter 1990, and I was on my way up to this small little church, and it would be kind of like if you had lived in Oviedo or Winter Springs and you crossed Lake Jessup and you drove down into the Goldsboro community. That, that is what my experience was like, and I lived over on the east side of Seattle, and we drove across the bridge, and we went into, the, the, into this called the Central District community, and as I was coming up Martin Luther King, I saw Melvin and Antoinette walking to Easter service holding hands. At that time, they were eight years old, and little Melvin had a little man suit on, and, and Antoinette had a little white dress that one of our workers had bought for her. And as I was driving past them, my heart literally melted. I made my heart melted. I didn't understand why I was in this church. I didn't understand why we were in this community, really. But when I saw those two kids walking down the street, I knew my mission. I knew from that very moment my mission for the rest of my life would be to bring God's love to a city and to see children and to see people become champions for God. And that mission has never stopped. It's why we are here today. It's why so much of what we do, so much of what we do is committed to raising up the foundation of many generations. You see, that's the heart of God. The heartbeat of God is not just for us four and no more. The heart of God is not only for this generation, but for generations that are to come. It's why we do city church, uh, uh, our children's church program the way that we do. It's attractional. Kids want to come. We have some of the finest children's workers in all of Central Florida being led by Doug and Kristen Hayes. They do an amazing job with their children on Sunday morning, and you can give them a big hand. We have a program for boys on Wednesday night called Ranger Boys and for girls called Impact Girls. And we have a, a ministry where our young people, our young children are learning the scriptures. They're learning God's word through junior Bible quiz. And I look around our church and I look at the impact. And because of our commitment, because of our commitment to raise up the next generation, you see young people all over the church, not only just engaged in ministry, but you have a 21-year-old young lady leading us every single morning in worship who started as the worship leader here at the age of 17 because we are committed to raising up the next generations. Come on, give God a great big hand. It's the why we do what we do. It's why we need to build an educational space because we need to make more room for the next generation. A priest by the name of Francis Xavier said, give me a child for the first seven years and you may do what you like with him afterwards. Give me a child for seven years. Those first seven years are so foundational in a child's understanding of God and who God is and the truth of his word for his life. As a matter of fact, when I was five years of age, I had my very first encounter with Jesus. At the age of five, I knew that Jesus was real. I accepted him into my life. I asked him to change my heart. I don't know what I needed to confess sins of, but I confessed any sin that I could think of. And I had an encounter with Jesus. And as I grew up as a young boy and I strayed and I became a prodigal and I went far from God, I could never escape those moments. I could never escape those moments, those encounters, that time that I knew that God was real. Our commitment at City Church, our commitment is to raise up the foundation of many generations. You see, we are here today to raise champions for God. Not just my kids and not just your kids, but the church, of the, the kids of this community and of this city. You see, there's a whole generation that God has called to know Jesus, to have a relationship with him and become a champion for him in their kingdom. Someone said amen. 
In Psalms chapter 78, there's a psalm that's written by a man by the name of Asaph. Asaph was one of David's psalmists. David had three men who led worship in the tabernacle. You can read the Old Testament and you can see the story. But what David, David, because of his passion for the presence of God and his desire to see his people encounter his presence, had people that were dedicated to leading worship in the temple, for, in the tabernacle for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And Asaph was one of David's poets, one of his songwriters. He was also a prophet. He was a man who had the heartbeat of God for his generation. And in Psalm 78, you can turn in your Bibles or you can look at your phone or you can read it up off the screen. I want to walk through the first introduction of this psalm. This psalm is 72 verses long and it's the story of the people of God. It's their history. It's what they did right, but it's also what they did wrong. And in David begins, the Asaph begins to express the heart and the passion of God for that generation. In verse number one, Asaph says, my people, hear my teachings. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter things, things from all. You see, there is a call today to hear the message of God. The challenge to you and I is to listen to what God is saying to this generation and to obey. Asaph, look what he says here. Listen to my words. This is like a parent calling Junior, mommy calling Junior over to her and say, listen up, boy. Listen up. I'm telling you something here. Uh, this is not like optional. This is not, hey, just, I got something to say over here. No, no. This is a, a very strong command. Listen to my words. Listen to the things that I'm about to tell you. I'm going to teach you. The word teaching here is the word that in the Hebrew for Torah. It's literally the, the Torah of God, the law or the word of God. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Listen to my words. Listen to the things that I'm commanding you. I'm going to open my mouth, and I don't want you to miss a word. I don't want you to miss a word. There's a lesson to be learned in the story of our people. There's a lesson to be learned in Israel's history. I'm going to tell you a parable. In other words, kind of a, it's like a mystery. And you know what the mystery was to Asaph? The mystery was that these people who had such powerful experiences of deliverance, these people who had seen water come from a rock, these people who had cross, uh, went across on dry ground through the Red Sea, these people who had manna provided for them for 40 years, these people whose shoes never wore out, these people who saw God deliver them time after time after time again forgot God. It was a mystery. It was an enigma to him. He couldn't believe it. He said, come close. I want you to hear what I have to say. There's the stories of old. There's lessons that we can learn from those who have gone before us. You see, every generation today is responsible to raise up champions for God and pass on the baton of faith to the next generation. I want you to look at verses 3 through 6, the passing of the baton. In verse number three, Asaph says, these things we've heard and known, things our ancestors have told us, we will not hide them from their descendants. We will not hide them from their descendants. In 2008, in Seoul, Korea, the, in, Beijing, in China, there was the Olympics. And the United States had formulated the fastest 
four by 100 racing team, the relay racing team in our history. The two runners were Tyson Gay and Dave and Patton. And these two guys were speedsters. This team was coming behind 17 other four by 100 teams that had won the gold. They were predicted just to clean everybody's clock. And Tyson Gay was running, and he was getting ready to pass off the baton to, to Davon. And as he got to hand it off, it slipped, and it dropped. Sorry, Pastor Glenn. <laughs> he dropped the baton. You can Google the story. I mean, they, got, they were devastated, and all these reasons why. And the one guy took you know, blame. I missed it. I made a mistake. But here's what was happening. A runner was coming from behind. And his only job was when he got to that spot to pass it off to the next generation. And he slipped. He failed in his responsibility. You see, you and I are running the race of faith. We're living out the destiny and the purpose of God in our generation. And our responsibility is to pass the message of hope, to pass the message of Jesus onto this generation. And I would say, don't let us drop. Don't let us drop that baton of raising up the next generation. See, God has called us as a people. The things we've heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. Every generation, every generation is responsible to raise up champions for God. You see, someone passed the baton on to you. You're not here by accident today. Someone told you. Things our ancestors have told us. Someone told you about Jesus. Maybe it was your mother. Maybe it was your father. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was a neighbor or a co-worker or an aunt or uncle. But someone told you about the glorious message of God. Asaph said someone told us about what God had done in our history. See, we have received the message of the gospel because someone went before us. It's why I tell my story. It's why I tell the story of a 15-year-old Jewish girl who had never heard Jesus' name outside of a curse word or a blaspheme. Had never heard that name. Grew up in a Jewish home, a secular Jewish home. And someone invited her to a small little storefront Pentecostal church in Tucson, Arizona. And the first time she heard the name of Jesus, she said yes. The first time she heard the message of Jesus and the power, the good news to change your life and to forgive you of your sins, she said yes. Because that little 15-year-old Jewish girl said yes, I'm here today. And I'm passing on the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ to this generation. You have a story. We have a God story. Someone passed it on to me, and now we are passing it on to next. Everyone say next. Oh, Deuteronomy, the challenge that laid before the people of God. He said, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to, to this. This is not an option for us. Churches bicker and fight and fuss about sound of music and flashing lights and style of carpet or look of carpet. They, they fuss and fight and moan about culture and all the problems of society. And they're forgetting their mission. The mission of God, he commands us. He says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Talk about them. Talk to your children. Talk to your grandchildren. Talk to your neighbors about the wonderful message of the grace of God. I was in fourth grade. My teacher, his name was Deacon Paul Soule. I was in a fourth grade junior boys class. 
I remember so clearly this lesson about the generosity of God. Paul Soule had been a faithful Sunday school teacher for many years of the fourth grade boys. And as I was sitting in this classroom, I, I, this illustration just sticks. I can take you to the seat. I can take you to the room. It's still there today to the church building that he was teaching me this lesson in our class this lesson. And he pulled out a handful of dimes, ten dimes as a matter of fact. Now, I was a little kid. I've always been pretty good with numbers. I was really fast at multiplication. And when I was a boy, we used to have these multiplication drills. And you would stand behind the person, you know, at one seat. You'd go around the room, and, and they'd throw up a card like three times five or four times six. And, and you'd see how fast you'd spit it out. Do they still do that today? I don't know if they're allowed to compete anymore. But we were allowed to compete back then because somebody might feel bad. But we were allowed to compete. <laughs> Bunch of snowflakes around here. No. And I loved, I loved the race. Oh, I was so fast on math. and I, Numbers would stick in my head. Johnny Bench was my favorite baseball player. I, I was a catcher, and I could, you know, in 1973, he hit 323, had 42 home runs, 123 RBIs. I mean, I just, numbers would stick in my head. So I knew when he pulled out 10 dimes. I mean, I, I knew how much that was. That was a dollar. And then he took that dime. He took that one dime. He said, this dime belongs to God. This is your tithe. And I got that. I got the all the money part. That was easy for me. He said, but God just doesn't want your tithe, your money. God wants your time. He said, that's why I'm teaching you boys this class today, because I'm giving God my time. And God doesn't just want my time. He also wants my talents. He wants me to serve him with the gifts that he's given to me. Fourth grade junior boy. Here I am several years later. <laughs> I've never forgot that. See, one generation was passing the generation of God's truth onto the next generation. It's the command of God. It's the heartbeat of God. John Maxwell summed it up like this. The best leaders today lead today with tomorrow in mind and making sure they invest leaders who will carry their legacy forward. I would say it like this. The best Christians today are those who invest in others who will carry the mess of Jesus Christ forward into their generation. And then look what he says here in verse number four. We will not hide our God's story. We will not hide fr them from their descendants. We will not hide the works of God. We will not hide what God has done. We will not take our light and put it under a bushel. We have these precious promises. We have these encounters. We have the truth that Jesus Christ came, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, rose from the dead. He changed not only lives in his generation, but 2,000 years later, he's still changing lives for everyone who believes. We can't hide that message. It's the hope of the world today. Could imagine if you were a wealthy person and you decided that you were going to pass your inheritance on to your children. But you said something like this to them. Well, I've got this map. It's a secret map. And it has all my houses, all my possessions, all my stocks, all my, invest, all my investments. But I hid it someplace in Montana. You're like, are you kidding me? Like, you want to take a gun. You know, come on, stick them up. Tell me where it's at. That's exactly what happens so many times with the message of the gospel. We have, this, we have these more sure words of prophecy. We have this precious promise of God. We have this relationship with Jesus, and we hide it. We don't talk to our kids about it. We don't talk 
to the next generation about it. I went to my doctor this two weeks ago and had some blood work done and kind of at that age you're supposed to do these checkups once a year. And so I went in and had my checkup and my doctor walked in with this sheet with a report for my blood work and he said, man, you have clean blood. And I'm like, thank God for the Daniel fast. Because <laughs> it wouldn't have been so clean three weeks before that. I begin to talk to this doctor. He's been my physician for over 11 years, and he's a Jewish man. And I begin to press him a little bit on the gospel. I begin to press him about where he was with God. And I said, you know, I said, when was the last time you go to went to synagogue? He said, ah, I don't go to synagogue. I said, why is that? He said, well, I don't know. Uh, you know, you. And he started fumbling the papers. <laughs> and I said, are you getting nervous? I said, I asked him. He's like, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. But I started pressing him about God and his relationship with the Lord. He said, ah, yeah, yeah, I don't have time for that. And I said, what about your wife? He said, no, he doesn't. We're, not. we're busy. They're both doctors, and they're busy in their practice, and they're living their life. I said, well, what about your children? He said, no, we, we, didn't, we didn't want to impress or imprint our children, or we didn't want to steer our children in any one direction. We wanted to let them discover for themselves. I'm like, no, you missed it. You missed it. And you missed it. Now, God loves that, man. God's not finished with him. I keep going back to him every time I get a little bump or a little scratch or a little itch. And I'm going to keep sharing the gospel. I'm going to keep talking to him about the Lord. But, folks, we as a church, you as a dad and as a mom, have a responsibility to raise up your generation. Not to hide the truth, not to hide the powerful message of the gospel. Look at verse number four. We will tell the next generation. We live to tell the next generation of the wonders and of the works of God. Look what he says here. We will tell them of the works of God, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and his wonders that he has done. The praiseworthy deeds. Our God is worthy of our praise. When you wake up in the morning, who do you give praise to? Who do you thank through this morning? We tell him of his power, how he saved us, how he delivered us, how he provided for us. We didn't have enough money this month to pay our bill, and we prayed, and all of a sudden, God worked a miracle on our behalf. You know why? Because he's the God of all power today. You see, we begin to tell him of the powerful works of our God. He's a mighty God today. The powerful works of God. City Church, we were just several months old. And God had put this burden in our heart to, to reach the next generation. Our church was running about 40 people at the time. We were about six or eight weeks old. And there were three families that had moved here from Seattle. And we were gathering as many people as we could. And God began to speak to us about going into the highways and the byways, the old timers used to call it. We just call it apartment complexes. God began to speak to us about going into the apartment complexes, inviting people to church. And we knew that if we were going to do that, we were going to have to have some transportation. And so we began to pray for a bus. We begin to fast and pray that God would give us a bus and that we'd be able to go into these communities and bring people to church on Sunday. I was driving down the road with my wife. We were someplace in Apopka, and as I was going down the road, I passed this yard, this large construction yard, and there was a tall eight-foot fence, but I could see on the other side of that fence there were these yellow tops. And I had driven a lot of buses. I'd been involved in bus ministry. I know what, when vehicles are 12 feet high and they have a yellow top on them, I know what they are. They're called school buses. 
And so I pulled up to the gate there. There was a great big sign that said, warning, pit bull on duty. So the man of faith and power I was, I sent my wife up to the front door to knock. And so Miss Laura, she went up there and knocked on the door. And she started talking to the guy. And so I saw that it was safe. The coast was clear. And so I went up and I joined her. And there we were. And I began to talk to the man about the buses. I said, well, are the buses for sale? He said, well, how many do you want? I said, well, I'd like to have at least one bus. I said, well, how much are they? He said, I'll sell the buses to you for 15, I'll sell the bus to you for 1500 bucks. I said, I'll take two. Now, I didn't have a dime. City Church had no money. I didn't have a dime to buy these buses. But that small group of people I went back to the next Sunday, and I began to share with them our passion to raise up the next generation. I began to share with them the desire of God to raise champions for God in this house. The following Sunday, we received an offering. That small group of 50 people gave $3,300, and we bought ourselves two buses. Come on, give God a great big hand. I gave the guy $3,000, and then the director at Teen Challenge at the time, his name was Wayne Gray. He had a guy there that could spray automobiles, and I sent those great big giant buses over there. And they sanded that yellow off there, and they painted them white, purple, and gold, because that's the, that, those are the colors of heaven. <laughs> and City Church launched, launched the vision, launched the dream of bringing God's love to the city, one person at a time, and leading people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. You see, we teach them the works of God. I tell you those stories to encourage you today, how God has worked in our life as a church family. But we not only teach them the works of God, we have a responsibility to teach them the word of God. Look what he says here in verse number five. He decreed statutes. The word statutes is testimonies or witnesses for Jacob. It has the same establishment or authority as the word of the law of God for Jacob. And he established the Torah in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. You see, because when we get God's word into our life, we get God's word into our kids, it guides us into success. It leads us into the ways of God. Joshua chapter 1, the Bible says, keep this book of the law. Keep this word. Keep this Torah. Keep the word of God always on your lip. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And when you teach your children the word of God. See, when you teach the children the word of God, you set them for, up for success. Because your goal in this life is to make your ceiling your children's floor. You see, your goal in this life is to lead your children not to be victims of society and culture, but to be victors and to be overcomers. There's something that happens when the word of God gets down inside of us. It only, not only tells us what not to do, it tells us what to do. You see, when we get God's word into our heart, it keeps us out of divorce. When we keep God's word into our heart, it keeps us from the bankruptcy court. When we get God's word into our heart, it keeps us from being in the wrong seat, in the wrong bedroom. When you get the word of God into your heart, it keeps you from doing the wrong things because you have the right things to do. That's to worship God and to pass on the message of this truth to the next generation. See, God says, get this word into your heart and you will prosper. You want good success today? You want to know how to run your business? You want to know how to be a good employee? You want to know how to be a good mom, a good dad, a good brother, a good churchman? Get God's word in your heart. 
Who are you listening today? Whose report will you believe? I, rep I believe the report of the Lord. See, God's word guides us into success, but it also keeps us from sin. The psalmist said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This word has the power. This book, this book, the word of God, is the only book that will keep you from sin. And sin is the only thing that will keep you from this book. Amen. Get this word into your heart today. Get this word into your children's lives today. Look at verse number 6. We see the long-range vision of God. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. Hear me today. Listen, a children yet to be born need to hear the message of Christ. Because they, in turn, are going to tell their children. And when Asaph wrote this, Jesus Christ would not have been born yet for 1,500 years. You see, and when Jesus came in his generation, he began to proclaim the message of good news. He said, turn to God. Give your heart to him. Turn to him. Know his life. Experience his abundance. Live out his blessing. And then Jesus came and he preached that message to his generation. And there was one man by the name of Peter. Peter didn't understand it. Peter was still living for himself. Peter was still following his own ways and his own dictates. He was living not as a, as a champion. He was living as a coward. Peter actually rejected. He denied Christ. But after Jesus went to the cross, as he said, and rose from the dead, Jesus told Peter, I want you to go into Jerusalem and wait for the promise. What was that promise? It was the promise that you and I experience today, the reality of the presence of Jesus. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he made a promise, I'm not going to leave you alone, but I'm going to give you my spirit. And when my spirit comes into you, you will never be the same. You will be washed. You will be cleansed. You will be sanctified. You will be made a brand new person. You will become born again. Again. Peter hadn't had that experience yet. But the Bible says that Jesus breathed upon Peter and he received the Holy Spirit. And then 40 days after Jesus ascended into heaven, it was Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit came. And Peter, in one moment, was transformed. And he stood up in his generation. And he said, this promise... This promise of the message of the gospel, of the kingdom of God, of changed lives, is not only for you, but for your children and for those who are afar off. And hear me today, we have a long-range vision. The why. Why we're doing raids. Why we're going to build this building. And as God wills and God enables, we will continue to expand our campus and build other buildings. Because there is more people who need the message of Christ. There's a generation not yet born of God who need to hear the message today. Why raise? Why raise? Because there's a generation yet to be born that's going to give God praise. And then look what he says here. He said, God's called us to forge the next generation, to live lives differently than a previous generation. Verse number 7, it says, And they would put their trust in God and would not forget his benefits, would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. As a pastor today, it ain't enough that I know Jesus. My boy's got to know Jesus. 
Your children need to know Jesus. Your grandchildren need to know Jesus. There's no, there's no, there's no like sneaking into the kingdom. But my mama, man, she went to church. My, both, my mom went to church today. My mom went to church every Sunday too. I was a drug baby. I got drugged to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whether I wanted to go or not. <laughs> True story. They don't make me a Christ follower. Not enough. But my pappy was a deacon down at so-and-so. Don't so, so, that's great. That's awesome. But what about you? Where are you in your relationship with God? See, one generation passes it on. I can't make my kids serve God. My kids have to make the decision for themselves. But when I tell ki my kids about the works and the wonders of God, and I begin to teach them the word of God, I'm laying up a foundation for them to walk out the path of God in their generation. The psalmist says, listen, we are forging, we are raising them up to have their own faith so that they would learn to trust God. Josh McDowell says, the, the uh, famous Christian apologist says, the core of Christianity is far, far more than a set of true propositions. It is the news of God who is passionate about a relationship with you. They would have their own God stories. They would not forget his deeds. Psalms 103 says, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. I will not forget all his benefits. His mercies are new every morning. His grace is sufficient for every trial. His strength enables me to stand strong. I will not forget his benefits. Whew. We want to raise up a champion, a generation to know and live the gospel. Then me, we must be willing to live and know the gospel. If you and I, this is the heart of God, if we want to see a generation live the gospel, we must commit our lives to living this gospel. Because look at verse number 8. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to Him. God's called you and I to raise up champions. The rest of this psalm, verses 9 through 72, are the story of Israel and mostly what they did wrong. Mostly what they did wrong. See, they forgot the goodness of God. They forgot the deeds of God. They forgot the work of Christ that came into their life. They forgot how God provided and protected. They forgot that through the wilderness and through the journey, they forgot, they forgot, they forgot. And the Bible says that after Joshua died, there was a generation that came behind him and did not know the work of God. They did not know the Lord. You see, our goal today, our task today is to be reminded of this. We, the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has a responsibility to raise up the next generation. We must not let them forget. They must know. They must hear. We must position them so they can experience everything that God has for them in their life today. I truly believe this today. We will never be a success as a Christian. We will truly never be a success in God's kingdom until we are passing on our faith to the next generation. No, su no successor, no success. 
This is not a message of condemnation. This is a message of conviction. This is the message that we're laying out the vision for City Church. This is why we do what we do. Your family needs it. My family needs it. The city of Sanford needs it. Your community needs it. Your workplace needs it. Our country needs it. Our city needs it. Our nation needs it. <laughs> we have a mandate from God. My story is because of God's story. God's story came into my world. Now you're part of that story. City Church, I want you to hear your story. There was a young girl that came into our church. She was about 15 years of age. Her name was Amber. Amber went for, to Seminole High School. Amber's mother was far from God. Had a lot of baggage, a lot of brokenness, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of self-medication. Amber came into our church, and she met Jesus at Wide Open Youth. She had an encounter with Jesus that would change her life forever. I watched Amber over the next... I don't know how many years it's been then, seven or eight years now. And I've watched how God has raised her up in this house. About four or five weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, a group came from Salem, Oregon. They were ones that helped us purchase this building. They were the ones that loaned us the money. And they, some of the investors came and they wanted to check out their investment. And they came to this campus on a Sunday morning and most of you didn't recognize them. They walked around with little lany lanyards and they were seeing what God was doing. And they were completely blown away. They're blown away by the generations that attend this church. They were blown away by the ethnicity of this church. They were blown away by the passion of this church to, to make this message known, to raise up the next generation. And they took a picture. We had no idea that this would be the cover of this magazine. This magazine goes out to thousands and thousands of homes across the country. And Amber has a story. And the reason that Amber has a story is because you, City Church, were faithful. She has a God story. She found her husband here. She's passing on the next generation. She's, she's uh, and her husband are, are ministering in wide open youth. They're serving God in this house. See, Amber has a story because you were willing to open your heart to raise up the next generation. But there's a lot more Ambers out there. There's a lot more stories to tell. You should raise up the foundation, not just of one generation, but of many generations. Pastor Glenn was sharing with me that Amber had lived with him and Natalie for about two years. She graduated high school. She was part of her intern program, and she had no place to live, and she moved in with them. And just a few weeks back, she began to talk. She called Pastor Glenn. She said, Pastor Glenn, I got a, a situation. There's a girl graduating in high school. She doesn't have a place to live, and what do you think about Travis and I bringing her into our home? Amber is now passing on the baton of raising up the next generation to the next generation. That's our story. I want you to close your eyes. I know God's speaking to our hearts today. We're beginning, we're launching into the next few weeks, and we're going to be challenged by God. God's going to speak to us in new ways, in different ways. And I believe this morning, I believe this morning that there was someone who was touched by God in a profound way, and you realized you realize as the message was being proclaimed that God is raising you up in a new way. And I want you to respond to that. I want you to say yes to God. I don't know what that means for you. Your story is different than my story. But God was speaking to a believer in this room. And God was saying, I want you to rise up. There's a call. There's a destiny. I want you to stir up the gifts that are in you. 
Don't look back. Invest in the next generation. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. It'll ne it won't be easy, but you'll never regret pouring your life into other people.